When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism and militarism are incapable of being conquered. George Bush doesn't care about black people. They have a Black History Month, but we don't have a White History Month. Well, all we've ever been taught is white history. If it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right-wing, ultra-conservative, alt-right haters, they would have me believe I'm too black, I'm too confrontational, I'm too tough, and I'm too disrespectful of them. But now, I know I'm simply a strong black woman. We're in a time where corporations are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be about. What is bad is not what they are doing. What would be bad is for us not to fight back. Hey ho, let's go. This is 102.3 WHIV LP FM. You are listening to Resistance Radio. My name is Mark Allender. They're looking handsome as always. Debonair uh, is Kenny Francis, smartest political mind. I love that we've gone from like you making fun of my clothes every week to now uh-huh. you say that I, I, I look nice. Well, I, I I'm, think... I'm glad of the money that I spent on you know buying new... Like new clothes. Dude, it took Hasn't one smart comeback on your part that still stings and I resonates. Um, uh, Careful, you might get singed. That's right. Uh, uh, st- sitting across from me, uh, looking as horrific as always. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the co-founders of Indivisible, NOLA, and certainly one of the smartest political minds that I know of uh, is Mr. Kenny Francis. As always, Kenny, it's such a pleasure to be back on air with you. Yeah. Well, glad glad to be back as always. Uh, it's for the first time in a while. It's a show just, just you and me, you and I, just yeah. you and I talking. Yay. Um, yeah, we haven't had one of these. In the, in yeah, the that that means the show's going to probably be over very quickly because we're going <laughs> to just be talking so much exactly. on top of one another. Um, so I want to, as always, at the top of the show, remind folks that you can find this episode and all episodes of this show by a, going a couple places. The first place you can check is the website for the station, which is whivfm.org. Um, you can also find it wherever you get your podcasts, um, including on Spotify, which is where I actually listen to the show when I listen back to see how we did because it just automatically comes into my like Spotify. I don't know if you have Spotify. I don't. Um, but the way that Spotify does podcasts now is that like it in the same it. way in the same way that you have like your playlist that sort of just right. like live in your thing. Right. 
the podcasts go there. Yeah. And so it just like is another one of my playlists. It's like right next to my like work playlist. And so it's like really easy to listen to podcasts now. Right. So I have uh, I have a podcast catcher. I forget which one it is, but it just pushes it on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I will say that we were able to get um, – do we just kind of quickly just say what happened at the uh, at the Ace Hotel for oh. Movement Monday? Because we did yes. – so the reason why there was a delay with that particular podcast was – um, uh, the, uh, technician who was working the board, I think was loving, uh, uh, Lenny's music so much. He forgot to, uh, <laughs> tune it off, uh, as we started the show. So I had thought that there was like a minute or so of, uh, of a bleed in, but I think Kenny, you texted me, you it was said like it was five like minutes. five minutes. Yeah. yeah. So we're, so the first five minutes of the show, um, there was some music uh, playing in the background. So we were delayed because we didn't quite know what to do with that, but finally we just decided to put it on air. Yeah. Because the rest of that is really, really good, right. particularly when um, Jose came in. Like it's right. an inc- it's a really, really good interview, and um, I think our guests were really, 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 really well spoken and very passionate about what they're talking yeah. about, and also dropped some really, really great nuggets of yeah. information, including um, uh, no guacamole for immigration haters. You see that one I've heard a lot of times, um, and so like that one didn't land as well with me because right. I think he he didn't make that up. A lot of people have been saying that. I think, um, he, but I, the. I, I mean, a bunch of his other, a bunch of his other lines were really like his, uh, yeah. him calling USA the United States of amnesia. I think that's. Yeah, hilarious I actually forgot about that. No, I did. Um, yeah, it's yeah. He <laughs> it was, was really really good. No, that. But the other thing that he did that was great too was going through all of the yeah. various laws and how this is going to be, and it like that was the thing that kind of jarred me because I saw him do it again at Lights for Liberty, where he was able to then go through and just say that uh, all the various pl- the, uh, um, historical events, including one that I forgot about until he said it. I'm like, God, it's so bad. Was Operation Wetback oh, was yeah. in the 50s, but yeah. this family separation. Holy crap, they called it. That. I know, like that's how blatant the racism is. Yeah. And I know we're going to end the show, or at least I have a couple words at the end of the show, just to talk about the blatant racism that yeah. we are seeing here that we'd rather not talk about, but I think requires it to be addressed. But we'll save that for the end of the show. And I, I want to address that really quickly. Um, there, the reason why we don't talk about Trump, which is like the elephant in the room about this show, it's an orange elephant, is that. Everyone else is talking about Trump. When we when we created this show, the goal of this show was to inform and engage specifically on local and state issues. And obviously, we would cover national news when it was relevant. But like the reason why Mark Allen and I created this show is that we both, as consumers of news and politics nerds, we were very frustrated. Like I, I remember the genesis of this show came from when I had done an interview with you on your old show about um, a... a a, a voting guide for the mayor for the mayoral race that I had worked oh, right. on the on indivisible behalf of Indivisible. Right. And then afterwards you and I were just having a discussion. You're like, so what do you think about some of the ballot initiatives? And I was like, I don't know because there's no coverage and I can't find any information about them. All I'm finding is people telling me how to vote. Right. But I don't know what I'm voting for. And you and I sort of like complained to each other for like 20 minutes about how is it that like we're these two people that like actively are seeking out this information and like and learning as much as we can and we can't find out information about things we were expected to vote on like a week later that go into the constitution but literally yeah it was like it was insane it was insanity and that's sort of like how this show was born is that we're here to explain this stuff that for whatever reason and not for a reason we know the reasons are the reasons are that you know, ignorant policy populace. policy explanation. Also, policy explanations don't get clicks. Like we we're in a situation, we're in a like reality where, on the 
sort of like the politician side, right? You said like uh, a more ignorant populist makes it easier to control you. But on the media side, we're in a reality where in order to get any sort of profitability out of your media you're putting out, you have to go for whatever has the most clicks, which is why our news has gotten more and more dumbed down over the years. Okay. And yes, yes. But I'm going to push back a little bit and just also say that, that you can make policy sexy. I think to a large degree, you and I have made tax policy sexy to a large degree. And I know that because people say, I totally understand when you guys explain it. What happens is that I, and this is me, and I'm putting my little tinfoil hat on for the little conspiratorial moment of the show. I think that they don't explain it. In, writers are very talented. They can take mundane, dull things and make it interesting. That's not what I'm it, saying. No, no, I, yeah. no, no, no. I know that. I'm not. But I'm saying that there is no interest for media to do it. Yeah. Because this, you know, because they they profit, they, uh, they gain from the status quo. Yeah. And I mean, they, you're making my point for me. Like a, a like a well, because you weren't making it. A conversation, like a a story about. Kim Kardashian gets a thousand yes. more, not even yeah. that, like a million more clicks than an article explaining fair share or explaining like marginal tax rates. Right. Like me, right. you, and the other politics nerds would read that, right. but most other people are clicking on the article about Kim Kardashian. So what do yeah. they write about? Right. Kim Kardashian. Well, you know, and that's right? and they so, write about like they write, write about Kim Kardashian asking Trump to get ASAP Rocky out of jail. Which, by the way, I know I know that I just said a bunch of things that probably means nothing. No, to no, you, no. I obviously, you, like, dude, come on. If you asked me a couple no of years ago. If you just showed me a headline a couple years ago that said Kim Kardashian meets with the president of the United States to get ASAP Rocky out of her Swedish jail, I'd be like, "What right. happened? Right. Huh?" Yeah, I mean that's a whole other thing there. But uh, yeah. God bless it, I had a thing. Um, no, I, I, no, no, no. So I will say this. So as much as I think that the man is reprehensible and a horrible human being. He is like another carnival barker. And what he is good at doing is taking like, kind of like throwing stuff on the wall, you know, uh, Elijah Cummings, rat infested, you know, whatever, because he knows people are gonna feast on that, yeah. right? And, and not pay and attention to what he's doing. Disco. Yeah. And that, and that yeah. is what's essentially happening. Yeah. And as much as- And that's like, why we don't talk about him, because like, I think the policies that his administration are passing are much, much worse than anything he ever says. Perfect example, since we're already going here. Um, everyone is talking nonstop. It's on every single part of the news cycle. Everyone is talking nonstop about the things he said about Elijah Cummings and all the things he said recently. And they're all reprehensible and, they're and all awful. Uh, this but morning. Meanwhile, another mass shooting happened yesterday in California Gilroy. and no one's talking about gun control because everyone's talking about freaking Trump and the stupid stuff that he's saying. Also his um, administration is actively being sued right now by like all of environmental, basically this conglomerate of environmental watchdog groups because they rolled back the, they, they decided recently to roll back the regulations that were put in place after the deep water horizon explosion 10 years ago and basically said to the oil company, do whatever the hell you want again. And all the environmentalists are like, wait, nothing has changed. Why are we getting rid of this rule that was put in place to make sure it doesn't happen again? And the answer is obvious that some wealthy donor, some wealthy interest that Trump wants to keep their support wanted that to go so they could go back to doing business the way they were. And so he made it happen. But instead of us having a conversation about how as climate change starts to like completely like sh like pwn us and like show us like what is going to happen as our weather gets more and more extreme – here we are rolling back environmental, environmental regulations, and I saw it as like a footnote in another article, and then I clicked, and I was like, wait, what is this? 
Like that's where, like that's where we're at. So, where the real news is getting pushed so down. So let me let me ask you this then. Um, and and uh, you know we've we've heard that he's kind of busting all sorts of political norms, and we we know that. Do you think that this is going to be, especially if, a, if another Republican, or if, I mean, obviously if he take if he wins again, but do you think this becomes the new norm of politicians Absolutely. that they will now just say and do just like yeah. ridiculous things so and that I, they can take? And I think not just I don't think not just that. I think not just the, the sort of like the ugliness of, and I won't even call it discourse because it's not discourse, just the ugliness of what they're saying will not only become the new norm, but also just. Not having to actually put out any sort of policy ideas, right. it's unbelievable. Like, like the 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 fact that, and again, anyone who knows me personally has talked to me about politics. Like personally, knows that like I'm an ardent supporter of Elizabeth Warren. She's my she already has my vote. Really? And yeah, right. she's my she because out of, of, out of the field because of policy out of the field. She already has my my vote, and I think that of the th- of the things that I like about her as a candidate and as a politician, and then, and I think her record of like what she's been able to try to get done. Um, in her service already speaks for itself is what she has stood for. Also on top of it, she's the only person with any actual policy ideas. The only one. I, I, that's and not a hundred percent true. The, the only one who has put her whole platform out there that says here are exactly she's what got I a lo- do. She's got How a I'm lot to pay for it. Like, and the, and the fact that she's an outlier is a problem. Yeah. I wish that yeah. there was someone yeah. that was challenging Elizabeth Warren on policy. But the thing is, I actually think that her policies are probably not as sharp as they could be because they don't have to be. Because the bar is so Who is low. she arguing policy right. with right now? Well, Bernie. I mean, Bernie's been arguing policies, the same policies for 40 years. Yeah, and he's also never come up with a plan of how to pay for them. Like, it, like no, it's, I, right, it, it's true. It's a fact. The, how, the, how, like, Medicare for All pays for itself. You're saving money. You, like, it pays for itself. It, it doesn't pay for itself up front, which is why he's never That's been right. getting traction on, traction on it. My whole thing up with Bernie, and I'm not saying I, I don't think Bernie has good ideas. My whole thing with Bernie is that Bernie has consistently – the reason why he doesn't, he doesn't succeed is because he has consistently been making a moral argument to America. He's consistently been saying, we need to do these things because they are the right thing to do. And I don't know how old he has to get to realize that America doesn't give a damn about what the right thing to do is, especially white folks. Like. It just, like it's, if you're rich, if you're rich and none of these things apply to you, you don't give a damn. That's that doesn't. And so he has never come up with a different message of like, here's how to actually make this happen, and here's like a way to reach that. And for me, that is a difference between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Is that Elizabeth Warren can actually get things done within the reality that we live in? Because guess what, America is not going to wake up tomorrow and start caring about black people. Like we can make them eventually by making the power structures different, but like this idea that just because you say that like it's really bad that everyone can't afford well, to go to college, all right, all right. or it's really bad that like healthcare is unfair, that people that's, are going to start caring. That's just not that's, reality. It's a large. It's I, I disagree with. I, I hear where you're coming from. I think that it's it, there's a level of mischaracterization there that I, I I just have to interfere and say that's not 100 percent right. And and we could sit and talk about that. I know that we've got a ton of things that. To talk about, I just want to just kind of go backwards, just one quick second, and just say um, because I, it is incredibly worrisome that if we've reached a point in our politics now where that the powers that be can just do whatever they want and not have any accountability right now, it's it it is it is scary, and I'm trying to think about 
what it was that he did by executive action um, last week that he just dismantled another system and was able to do it with executive action. And, and you know, you know, the other thing, too, is that the Supreme Court, did you see the um, the uh, ruling that came in late last week on Friday that said that he can actually take money away from the Pentagon oh, and yeah, and, and use it for yeah. use it for this wall? I, yeah. I, it is. Oh, snap. That's what he did by he's taking three million people. And and it's like. It's like pent. It's one hundred twenty. I think one hundred twenty dollars a month. Yeah. Like I mean, that but is. They're welfare queens, Mark Allen. Yeah. They're the forty-seven percent, as Mitt Romney put it. Um, if, if you're tuned in, you are listening to Resistance. Remember that Radio. time. Remember that time that a presidential candidate was completely nixed because of a ridiculous comment yeah. he made. <laughs> remember that time. Yeah. Take me back like, to the. Take like me back I, to those days. If right? I if I'm Mitt, <laughs> if I Mitt, real talk. If I'm Mitt Romney right now, I'm like, are y'all kidding me? <laughs> I made a comment that was like that was insensitive. Such a good that point. Was, I made a comment that was insensitive and elitist behind closed doors to a group of my like base rich friend donors and it completely torpedoed my whole campaign. And you guys voted for this guy? Right, the guy Which who Which I'm like seventy five percent sure that his vocal like criticism of Trump and being one of the few Republicans of any real name that's like out there against Trump is because of that. I think he's just like salty. He's like, really? Yeah. yeah. Really? Well, I, I think, I mean, let's just be very clear about this and we know this to be the case. Why do his supporters, you know, if you think about it, here are, uh, here's a, a guy for whom his supporters think is like, you know, love him like Jesus Christ. These are people who support Jesus Christ, but at the same time, these are not folks that actually follow in the path of well, Jesus. Well, these are also people and who think that Jesus Christ was like a blonde was a, white yeah, dude. Yeah, exactly. That's he was exactly, living, that's Middle Eastern, exactly the point that I'm making. He's a white Jesus? Yeah. What? And so, and, it, and what it is, and, and, and if it's done anything, we've had this conversation many, many times, and I just wanted to just kind of rehash it. We knew that he was going to rip the scab off of the wound that is the uh, both the genocide and the racist racist problem that 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 the U.S. has. And boy, is it clear, man! With everything that he's done, every lie, uh, every every obstruction of justice, every sexual, every rape. I mean, think about it. there was a rape allegation three weeks ago, gone. Like yeah. not even like a credible rape allegation, gone, completely gone. And just think they, of all the things he's done since then, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's like we say, it's like drinking water from a fire hose, right? But it, it's, it, is the, it is the Americans' obsession to hold on to that racial animus, that, that, yeah. that, 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 that disequilibrium of power. Yeah. That it's, that it, it's, and I know we, we talked about it for a quick second last week, and maybe we should you know, focus a, a whole segment on it in the future, is kind of digging into these studies showing that people would rather have yeah. an authoritarian government that holds on to the white power structure than have a true democracy. Yeah. And that's remarkable. And obviously we're seeing that because they're, the Republicans are taking away the votes all over the place. Well, and I guess they, my question would be like, when have we ever actually had a true democracy? I, like at well, what point has America a, actually been a obviously actual that's a true very, democracy? I get your point, and I think it's a valid one. I just – this is the way it's always been. This we're, is the way just, it's always been. We're just sort of being more – I think what the sort of political norms of it are gone. And I think that's the real thing that he's changed. The real thing that he's changed is that – it is it is a it is a thing that people are screaming from the mountaintops, and they were doing it before. It's just that there was a very brief period where it was not okay to do that. 
um, because I mean, read about the Southern strategy, right? No, like, yeah, of course. They've the the ra- the racist imagery and the racist. Uh, rhetoric Will, has been a tried and true way to get votes in America of course. for a long, long time right. since the beginning of the country. There's just a very brief period in which, like, doing something like Willie Hort, the Willie Horton right, ad, the was not okay Bush, for uh, like 15 years, basically. Right, right, that, that's right. basically as long as it lasted. It lasted from like Clinton to Obama, and then the moment Obama got elected, it started all over again. Because right. we started out with the monkey stuff, with the send him back stuff, with the he's really from Kenya stuff, right. with the birther movement. Which, by right. the way, the guy that we elected was the originator of the birth movement. Literally, the president he birthed of the, the, the birther movement. President of the United States of America created a political name for himself by starting a racist conspiracy theory that the first black president of the United States of America was not actually from the United States of America. And then we elected that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was elected by three million votes less than the opponent. Yeah. It's, 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 um, it's you, know, you know what it makes me say? It makes me feel, it makes me feel um, when Trump won, I think the one take that I saw that like sunk in the most out of all the takes that people tried to write was Mike Judge, who um, folks might know as a an actor, a, a director, um, hasn't done anything in a long time, but he did a movie in the early 2000s called Idiocracy, in which the basis of the movie is that this guy gets frozen. What was supposed to be like a test, like he was like a medical, he was doing like a medic, he was participating in a medical experiment, and he was supposed to get frozen for like a year, and then and they would like study him, and he was supposed to get all this money. But then it ended up being five hundred years by accident, and he wakes up in this in this America that has like completely devolved into pure idiocy. Hence the name of the movie. Um, and it's this like society where like intellectualism has been completely rejected, and Terry Crews plays the, like the president who's like the smartest man in the country, and he's like reads on like a third grade level or something like that. And the whole movie is like this like slapstick movie about that. Um, and I think the best take I saw is like the day after Trump won, Mike Judge put out a, a tweet that was like, I did not realize that I made a documentary. It was right. supposed to be satire, y'all. And I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, that is – there it is yeah. right there. Would you also say – and I know we have a show to get to, but I, I, I think that – I mean, this is what th- happens when it's just you and me. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I think that this is our way of dealing with this horrible racial tropes that have been happening. Like we don't need to identify it, but I think it's important to still just kind of – I think it's important to still talk about. Yeah. But would you say that to a large degree – now I'm going to ask you like speaking from your personal experience – and and like working with me because I think to a large degree you've seen me kind of even start to really open my eyes and I was I would say and I hate to use this word but I was fairly woke you know when you and I first first met but I think we should retire woke I I agree I agree we should I agree. we should have right. a jazz, we should have a jazz funeral yeah. for the I'm word totally woke. I still step all over it but w- there has been I, I'm hearing I'm hearing podcasts. I'm hearing journalists. I'm hearing very, very smart people really starting to speak very frankly about what's happening in America today that I often said that was happening when even Obama was president, but no one would really talk about it because I often said that, you know, Obama was, you know, you know, very, uh, uh, you know, very debonair and very smart and he had a very pretty face and he spoke very professorial and, you know, and he kind of didn't get us to start thinking about all the real, you know, that 40 to 50% of America is still in poverty. In New Orleans, 40% of kids are, are food insecure. I mean, it led issues. There's still lead issues in, in Flint, Michigan, and that was under Obama's watch. And Obama, they presented him with a glass of water that came from a sink, and he's like, <laughs> and he did not drink from it, you of know? Not. Right? I mean, like... Yeah. He also bombed a lot of people. 
with yeah. a lot of drones. Yeah, he had which people don't three, like to talk bombed about. Bombed three Americans, which people three, don't like to talk three about. Three Americans. Like to talk about. Right. Obama ordered a lot of drone strikes. Yeah. So, and, but, but like we often say, if Obama was sitting in that chair right here, we'd be like, "Yes, sir." <laughs> I mean, I mean, and I've said this before. If you listen to like a lot of past shows, um, I like, I never had any illusions that Obama was some like progressive champion. Like Obama had well, the, the, the hope, the hope and change kind of. Kind of yeah, you know. But that's just political rhetoric. If you look at what he actually did when he was in office, like the guy has always no, been kind of a moderate. Yeah, he's a, he would have like, been a Republican. He's been like other time. He, no, but like I think fifty years ago, I think that's the way the Republicans mm, were. No, no, no. I do. I I just disagree. Okay. Um I think he's like slightly left of Cory Booker. Like that's like he's. You think he's left slightly, of Cor- slightly left, right, 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 right. Anyway, slightly left of Cory Booker. The point is, is that we have like to a large degree. I think that that more and more people are really starting to say stuff that maybe you and I would have had a conversation five years ago and we've been like, oh crap, what's going on with this world or whatever. And I, I just feel like we're at least becoming cognizant of of a change that that's coming. That's all. I and and, and I think the thing, the reason why I keep disagreeing with you on that, right? Is because basically you're making an argument you've made over and over and over again. And to be super honest with you, from like friend to friend, I think at this point it is like part of a thing in your head that like helps you make sense of the world in the way that you see it and experience it. Right? Sure, sure. Is that you basically consistently make this argument that like the awareness is a thing that should lead to something and that is inherently a good thing. I, and I and I and the thing that I always say is that again, sitting agree, in the chair that agree, I sit in, agree. I disagree. Because the you're saying that I don't, you're disagreeing with the uh, the awareness. Let, well, let me finish what I'm saying. Because okay. you consistently make this argument that way, and I understand what you're going for there. But I have an essential disagreement that awareness will lead to anything by itself. I have a disagreement that people knowing more about what's going on is actually going to change anything. Because at the end of the day, awareness without action and without real substantive action leads to nothing. And so, like, per, I think a perfect example. Is that because like and the thing is and this is just the difference between like me being a black man and you being and you not being a black man is that I and like my people that I've come from have literally watched for hundreds of years while things become or America becomes aware of things and then continues to not give a damn about them for a long time until change is forced. Perfect. A very perfect example I can set for you is Emmett Till was murdered in 1955. His mother chose to have an open casket so the world could see the pure depravity of what he was what he was um how he was murdered of, of how he was murdered in the period of prairie of it that he was a 14 year old child tortured that was tortured and beaten until he was literally unrecognizable when they tried to identify the body and then dumped in a river or was something that he never he, even actually did he dumped in a it river never, uh, it never a, actually happened with a fan and his blade. mother made a decision which when like, you say it never happened you're saying that the woman for whom he supposedly everything he was accused for literally was literally, made up on her deathbed she literally said, was made up she said the whole it thing. didn't happen it was literally made up they just lynched them they just wanted to kill this black kid that's literally what happened and she chose to have an open casket and the world was exposed to the pure depravity of what was happening in the southern part of the United States and they didn't care nothing changed the civil rights act happened 10 years later I, like it's like and so my and my thing and and that happened because of the civil rights movement it wasn't because people were all of a sudden aware it wasn't like white people picked up the newspaper in 1955 and were like oh damn we've really been treating black people like this maybe we should change that no they were forced to by direct action over time and large large numbers of it awareness didn't do anything and i'm not saying that it's not important my point is that like you find hope 
an awareness that I simply don't find. I and I, I hear you loud and clear, and and you and 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 it's a very very fair comment. But I, there's two things I want to say as a result of that. One is I don't I I think it's not that I find hope in the awareness. I think it's the first thing that you said that I'm able to create a worldview that fits by at least looking around and, and feeling some sense of relief. Maybe it is hope. I call it relief. I don't, I'm not hopeful. When I think about what's happening in the future, do with climate change, you know, there was a polar bear that was just found in, like, some part of Canada that, like, should never have had a polar bear there. I mean, like, like we're not moving in the right direction. Yeah. So, like, hope is not something that I've got, you know? But what there is is a sense of, uh, is a is something that I feel like I have seen for so long, but I am starting to see other people recognize it as well. And I think what you're, what you're saying, and it's a fair point, that, okay, well, then, if people are aware, you think that they're going to do something about it. But here it was the president, a week before he goes, uh, uh, election comes, and he's caught on, on, on tape saying that he's grabbing women by their pussies and nothing happened. Yes. Nothing. Not, not he, won. he won. He won. He literally right? won. He won. That would have been the yeah. 47% you know, yeah. comment that yeah. would have been that, that tanked wrong. And like wrong 12 me. before that. Right. And then, and then the, the 10,000 after, you know? Yeah. like I mean, and they don't care because he's enabling a white supremacy system to be propped up. That is what he is doing. He is becoming the face of that. And, and I don't Dude, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, man. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm scared. Like, to be honest with you, like, I have a very somewhat dismal kind of outlook yeah. into what the future has to bring. You know, when I wake up this morning and I see more horrific things coming out, because today it was against um, Al Sharpton. Right? Yesterday it was Elijah Cummings. I can't it was, even keep track anymore. Yeah, it's it's I think Donald Trump should just say, Hey, I don't like black people. <laughs> like I think he should just like could did, we could we not did, do like the did, individual did he, tweets? Yeah, did, could we just like one blanket forty character statement did, I don't like black people, right, right. y'all suck. Isn't like, that isn't that like, what he did when he took out a full time ad in the New York Times yeah, against about Central the, Park, the Central Park, Park Five? Five. Yeah, yeah, which you, he's still stands yeah, by. Have you despite, seen it yet or no? I'm not you're going not to watch it. It's brutal to watch. again, why would I watch it? I was there. I know what happened. I know. Um just the last thing I want to say this before I make us yes. move on yes. is, um, and I think this has been a very worthwhile discussion, so I'm glad we had it. Um, Thank you. I think that um, <laughs> I think something that I that folks should think about, right? Because like you said something in there that like really made that really like sent a light bulb off for me. You said that like you're you think about the world and like the way things have changed and like what Trump has like ushered in, and that you feel scared for the future. Um, and I think the thing that you can't possibly understand because you don't you don't walk the shoes that I walk is that myself and a lot of other black people that I know I don't feel any more scared now than I ever did in my entire life like this the, the fear that you feel about the direction the country is going in this is how people of color have literally always felt you're and calling for, out my white privilege and for right a now, lot right? of us nothing changed with this right. that's a lot of black people I know when Trump got elected was like of course white people voted for that man what? We all knew that was going to happen. And no one was surprised and no one felt any more or less scared than like it was like just another day in America, white supremacy being like being re-upped. Like America just like re-upped on its white, white supremacy meds. Like it's 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 not it's like it's no different. I don't feel any more scared in a Trump reality than I did for the first 27 years of my life before he was in office. 
It's the same America. It's the same America that's shooting unarmed black people every time the cop approaches us. It's the same America that doesn't want my kids to go to school with your kids. It's the same America that keeps people of color as poor as possible while doing all of the negative things we could possibly do to them. Like, it's it's no different. The only different is that they picked a really bad spokesperson for it right now. Like that's or like, a super effective one uh, to me. I mean, I would argue that if Mike Pence had been the president, this would all be actually worse because he would have been effect, really effective at it. Yeah. Like and he wouldn't have well, been saying half the stuff that because the thing is that like to the point that I'm making about people don't care if think about how bad this would be if Mike Pence was president and he wasn't saying any of the things that Trump was saying that makes some people pay attention. People would just be like. Another day in America. Well, oh, there, there goes so you, marriage equality. There goes so. But to a certain degree, then you are conceding. Like well, I and what I, and like I said in my statement, I said I'm not saying that right. awareness is a bad thing. Okay. What right. I'm saying is that the hope or the whatever you want, relief, whatever you want right. to call it, that you find right. in the fact that more people seem to be paying attention. Right. I don't find it because I can I can sit here and enumerate for you. Sure. Example after example after example after example of our society finding out about something truly reprehensible happening to other people in this country and not giving a damn about it until they're literally forced to. And my point is like, show me a precedent for the compassion of white supremacists, of white supremacy America. Like, show me a precedent for I don't have one. Right. I don't have any, I don't have any schema for that. I don't have any evidence for that. And like, this sort of touches on sort of like a, um, this sort of touches on something that I, I've heard other folks say, where it's like, on some level, like as a, and I'm I'm just going to speak for myself here because I'm not going to like make broad statements for everyone else. What, what I'm about to say, on some level, as a black person, I have a baseline distrust of white people because I don't have any example of large numbers of white people behaving in a way that like we want ideally human beings to be treated. I don't have any examples of that. In all of recorded American history. And what I do have is a whole lot of examples of a whole lot of white people standing idly by while the worst things that we've ever done to each other in this country happen and a whole lot of examples of large-scale amounts of white people participating in it. And so for me, it's like, do I like walk around like wishing ill on white people or like, do I like hate white people? No. But I do have a baseline dish. Like when I first met you and Pretty much anytime I meet any white man, it's like you have to prove to me that you are someone that I should let in in any way, shape or form because I'm constantly on guard about like what y'all are capable of. And so it's like and that's the reality that I have to live in as a black person in America to survive and thrive. And it's something I do without apology and without question because like I'm a survive and I'm a thrive and I'm going to help like make things better in whatever little way I can. But like that's that's the reality that we live in. And so it's like what what's really being asked of people of color is and this and I hope that that white folks listen to this get my point is that what is really being asked of people of color is that we take a leap of faith in white people consistently. When you say we, you're saying we, black people, like ahead. black people, people of color are being asked consistently to take leaps of faith on behavior that white people on a large scale in this country have literally never shown towards us. And every time that there is an opportunity to do that, it's usually turned down and then we're asked to trust again, which is why people, which is why people are already saying things like, man, if y'all don't turn out for Joe Biden, man, why should we turn out for Joe Biden? Look what happened the first time we trusted that dude. 
and I'm supposed to say this time it's going to be different? You still out here defending the Crime Act, but this time it's supposed to be different just because you're not Trump? And so it's like, again, you're asking black people to take a leap of faith for something that there's literally no evidence for. Literally none. Like, if you, if you let me borrow $5 that I didn't give you your money back, and you let me borrow $10 I didn't give you your money back, and you let me borrow $50, and $100, and $1,000, then $10,000, are you going to keep giving me money at some point? I mean, that's obviously it's a great point, and it's completely inarguable. And it reminds me of like the first or second show you and I were doing when you totally schooled me, like cold, just right there when I was like, "Well, you know, this country was formed on you know these principles of equity," and you just you just <laughs> stopped me. Which, <laughs> wait, what? Which ones? <laughs> you just, you just cold, me ones. cold cocked me right on um, air, dude. I mean, it's like Charlie and, Brown with the football, and that was yeah. the that was obviously where I was going. Yeah. It's, it's like Charlie Brown with the football, and, and and I think that that's a that's a great point, and and you know, and we really need to get on with the show. But I will say this: that there was a moment where Obama had an opportunity. You know, I I I think that, and we really need to get off. But I just will say this: at this point, just let it go. Right? <laughs> how the reason why they don't like big government? They don't like they like big government when it comes to like being able to kind of police, you know, people police the bodies. Uh, uh, police uh, relationships. Uh, they love big government to be able to put guns in places or whatever. But they hate big government when big government tells you that you need to serve everybody that comes into your restaurant, right? You know, and this is what you were starting to say a few minutes ago when it, it's policies that that take generations to happen. And and I thought those policies were starting to happen after civil rights, and that's when you started to see states' rights issues. And this is where Joe Biden's argument just just crumbles when he was trying to talk to Camilla, uh, Senator uh, Senator Harris uh, about you know, th- this idea of states' rights. Here's a Democrat who's talking about this idea of states' rights. It was just, it was, it was, it made, it was cringeworthy. I mean, to put it simply, of, he was like, I'm all for integration, but if your local government right. decides that they don't want to integrate, what do you want me to do? Right. Yeah, we can't make it a federal thing. And the only way... But that's, that, y- that's y'all's king, though. That's y'all dude. Wow. That's y'all dude. That's the dude that's going to beat God, Trump. You're, you're looking at me. I'm not talking yeah. to you specifically, okay, but that's right. y'all's dude. Right. People out here are talking about Joe Biden's a dude. Um, <laughs> the dude who's out here defending the Crime Act. The dude who's out here defending so, what he did with Anita Hill testimonies. The dude ugh. who's out here out here saying that he the reason why he didn't he didn't do more to to stop the people who were stopping integration was because it was a local issue. That's y'all's king. This your king? That's your bro? All right, cool. But I was supposed to turn out for Joe Biden and be excited about that. Um I, I was trying to get to uh um uh a clip of of Joe Biden, probably the funniest clip uh, of all, um, when uh, I'm not going to get to it here. Did you did you uh, ever see the clip of uh, of Joe Biden explaining uh, uh, or describing what, uh, after he first met uh, President Obama uh-huh. when he was a senator? Yeah, I mean it was it was horrific. Yeah, it's a, it's and this is it's, and this it's, is it is such is, insight. And this is the probable head. nominee that y'all going to shove down our throats and say we got to turn out and vote for. All right. Speaking of racial animus, let's talk about. So we have two topics yeah. that both actually have to do with race. Um, one of them uh, is we're going to save to the end, which is uh, some some really some 
spine uh, tingling or spine chilling uh, studies that came out with HIV that yes. I were somewhat well, let's, let's, problematic. Let's no, 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 yeah. I wanted to, I was going to segue into Press Park or oh, to Gordon oh, Plaza. Okay, let's that. Uh, so let's talk about Gordon Plaza because I think okay. that when we're talking about racial animus, so I'm going to keep this short, or given the time that we have now, and also because we've talked at length about Gordon Plaza, but, so this should not be a new topic. I'm going to do an overview. No, but, no, I know, but it's not something that. It, it's just because we're gonna t- you're gonna we're gonna talk about it shortly that even though we've talked about it at length in the past, I still think that we need to continue talking. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not I'm saying that this is not a new thing for our right, right, right. I just wanted um, to be clear and about this it. is a good time for me to remind you guys that um, if you are interested in a deep dive, if you are a newer listener or for whatever reason you just didn't hear it um, about this time last year, Mark Allen and I did a series on Gordon, Gordon Plaza, the topic that we're about to talk about. And there's a good three hours worth of podcasts on that. We did one where we sort of just talked about it here in the studio. And then we did a two-part episode where we actually went out to Gordon Plaza and interviewed residents in the neighborhood. Um, and those are very powerful episodes. Um, I won't speak for Mark Allen, but like, I, I was really, really like, emotional partic- like participating in and actually being there and like listening to the residents talk to us about what the neighborhood was like when they moved in and what has happened. Um, specifically, I mean, I had trouble keeping it together on that podcast when Mr. Sam sat there and told us a story about his wife who would, her morning routine is she would every day go out and tend to her flowers in their garden. And it was that garden that eventually killed her because the garden was built just like all of their homes on a toxic waste dump. And she eventually got cancer and died prematurely from cancer that ended up being inoperable and really aggressive. And that's what's been happening to people that living in that neighborhood. And they, and he'd been living there for almost 30 years. And now he's like fighting for relocation and for, um, and for like a just ending to this in her memory. And this man has lost his wife. Like, and there's, and that's just one story. Right. And And I could barely keep it together listening to that story. And and I because I don't know what I would do if I lost my life, wife of thirty years or something like that. Right. I don't know what it's, I would it's do. It's just something that was so it was so atrocious. So fifty three families, essentially fifty two. The a long story short is uh, this was a toxic waste land uh, landmine. Are so, you going to do it? So, okay, yeah. So it, basically, right. what Gordon Plaza is, it's a neighborhood out in New Orleans East slash the Desire era, which is probably why most of you who haven't heard of us talk about this before haven't heard of it, is because as we talk about, and as you talked about with Cindy Wynn when she was on, is that the East is often like a forgotten part of our community. Um, what happened was in the, there was a dump there. There was a, uh, a, a dump that was used to dump um, sort of like waste materials from construction projects, etc. cetera. Um, the dump was actually closed around the 50s, um, and then it was reopened for one specific incident after Hurricane Andrew, I believe, was the hurricane that happened in the 60s, and they dumped a bunch of stuff from Andrew there. Then it was closed again. Time passes by, and we moved to the the early to mid to late 70s, just the 70s, and um, the city of New Orleans, in in conjunction with a couple of our local delegation at the time, was trying to find a way to increase black home ownership in the city, specifically aimed at lower income residents. And so they came up with this program that was going to allow help folks buy homes in this new area that was being developed, known as Gordon Plaza and Press Park. Press Park was a, um, a basically city housing that folks lived in that was run by Hano, but then there was homes that were being sold. Um, at prices that were like going to be single family single homes family homes are being sold at affordable prices, and they're specifically aimed at black residents, specifically aimed at um, lower income residents. One of the residents that we interviewed on that episode that I, that I referenced, um, she actually got her home because she worked in city government at the time. She heard of the program and she let a bunch of her family members know about it. Um, and, and fast forward to be clear, let's just—I think it's—it's—it's 
it's relevant to to also kind of put into context the um, how the how the deal got put together. Who, who was involved in the Jefferson. deal? So uh, uh, William Jefferson. Was his yeah, name? William Jefferson, who was a former congressperson, who's uh, a now inmate uh, Jefferson, uh, was the uh, the city attorney, mm-hmm. and I think it was Dutch Moriel, um, who was the mayor at the time. Who was the mayor at the time? And I think that the deal was cut. And I I think that. Um, and I, I think that there, I, I'm going to step away from this conversation because I'm starting to kind of enter into places that I think are not right for me to speak about. But I think that there really should be, if you know, and I would be interested to hear other people. Um, con- yeah, Dutch was the the mayor from '78 to '86, so he right. would have been mayor. During so. Again, can it, might, it mean, might have existed. The program might have existed before he took office, but he, he was. But it was like on people his watch. knew that there was a. So here's the thing. I and the thing I don't know. I don't. I. I it'd be interesting to hear. So, so I here, mean, if there was so a, the, like so a what Mark Ellis sort of like dancing around here is that what the resi- What we do know for sure is that the residents who bought homes in Gordon Plaza were not told what was there beforehand. They were not told that a waste that that it that the the houses were built on a waste dump. They were not told that. Um, I I don't I cannot sit here and say on r- the radio whether or not the government had proof that it was toxic at the time that the house was sold. What I do know for a fact is that none of them were told what the what the houses were built on. Um, and I would gather because like I would have questions that they would have had a lot more questions if the government had been like, hey, we don't really know the environmental like effects of this, but by the way, your house was built on an, on what used to be a, a dump. I imagine that people probably wouldn't have been as interested in those houses. Wild guess that, and then also <laughs> when things started to surface, there was so, a lot of denial. So as well. then, so then over time, literally things would surface through the like ground. Things were coming up through the ground, like um, like, like and the, gov- and the dump, government, and dump. the government basically denied it, and they're saying, "No, it's fine, it's fine." And then people started getting sick, and then finally the federal government investigated, and it was discovered that it was toxic, and that the level of toxicity were leading could lead, could and were leading to premature deaths. And so then it was, cancers it was designated a Superfund site, which is a federal designation which allows a municipality to access funds to basically clean up a toxic waste dump. And in other instances, such as there's Love a Canal. Love Canal in um, upstate New York, whole communities have been moved before. There is a pre- I think the thing that cannot be lost in this conversation about Gordon Plaza is what the residents of Gordon Plaza and the activists that are helping them advocate for this, they're not asking for something that's unprecedented. There are several examples across the country of communities in similar situations who were large scale moved and relocated and compensated for the damages and for and restitu- restitution. Like there is precedent for this is not a thing that they made up. And and the thing about Love Canal too is just to also be clear that these were also lower income uh, black families too. And so like, go ahead. No, they weren't. Oh no, they were not. They were white. No, no, they were white. Yes, it was white people. Sorry, yes, I'm sorry. I, I, I was like so focused on the next point, I forgot. I wasn't right. listening to you. Yes, the point I that Mark, waiting for the, the... the point that Mark Allen is making is that like yes, if you if you listen there, right, they moved the white people, and now it's we haven't moved the black people. Right. Surprise, surprise. I'm shocked. Previous forty forty five minutes of the show would tell you what my thoughts on that. <laughs> Um, hey, let me do this real quickly. If you're tuned in, you are listening to Resistance Radio. That's Kenny Francis. As always, dropping some amazing wisdom. My name is Mark Allendary, just barely trying to keep up. So basically what has been happening for a long time, 30, 30 years now, it was designated a super fun site in the early 90s. And the residents of Gordon Plaza has been fighting for fair and just relocation since then. Right, Kenny, and, how come they just don't sell think, their houses and, think, and then move? Oh, really? I, I got some land in the, in the Florida Keys that if, if you think that you can sell your house that's built on a toxic waste dump. So what Mark Allen is saying here is that like 
it was designated toxic waste dump, and then they were told, oh, just move, sell your house. Right. And these are people who had sunk, they had paid mortgages for years. To home, you know, home ownership is the best, is the still the quickest and most effective way to build wealth. wealth and equity in America. And these people were told, well, just sell your house, and not, but your house is now worth nothing. Another, re- another thing that was really, really bad about that that I cannot not mention is that fast forward to Katrina, Katrina happens. And while everyone's getting FEMA checks to fix their houses, none of them were eligible for yeah, FEMA checks because they're point. because because the site was red tagged as a toxic waste site. Such stop. a good and FEMA point. was like, I'm not going to give you a check to rebuild the house on a toxic waste dump. What? No, that doesn't make any sense. So just to clarify here, folks, these people were sold homes that were on a dump that they were not previously told of the environmental risks that were there. Then environmental risk was determined. And they were told, sell your now worthless home and try to get out of here. And so people stayed and tried to you know, make it work. The people kept dying. Katrina happens and destroys their home. And now they can't get aid because their, their home has been designated on top of a toxic waste dump and it's worthless. And so if you're listening to me right, there are people in Gordon Plaza who came back after Katrina and had to pay out of pocket somehow to rebuild their house on the toxic wasteland. That I- is... In, in, in a house again, that's killing them. And again, I literally do not know what I would do if right. I was one of these folks. I can tell you I'd be a lot less nonviolent about it than they're being. So um, what's happening on Thursday? And so I'm, I'm going to get there in a second because okay. one, the one more thing I want to say is something that we said last summer when we, when we did our deep dive on this show because I'm going to keep saying it. Is that one, no, Mayor Kentrell did not um, cause this problem. She inherited it. This is an inherited problem. Two, I personally asked her about Gordon Plaza at a public forum that I was moderating um, on behalf of Indivisible when she was candidate Cantrell. And broadcast In fact, on that WHAV. was the day that I met you for the first time. Right, that was, we broadcast on I asked, I asked her live on the radio in front of like a hundred, hundreds of people that were at that thing about Gordon Plaza, asked all three candidates, and she said that she thought it was an injustice that needed to be righted and that she would make it a priority to, find, to, to make sure that all citizens of New Orleans are protected and are living in environmentally safe and that she would take care of these people. Now, that happened two years ago now. To this day, they have not been able to get a meeting with the mayor's office. To this day. She's made some statements about it. She most recently made a statement after Essence Fest about it, but they have not they have not had a single meeting with the folks from from Jordan Plaza to talk about how they would even go about trying to do this. And the thing that's killing me, the thing that's killing me is that we did this last year when we talked about this. There are 52 families in Gordon Plaza still. The If you were just going to say, let's just take the average. According to Zillow, the average value of a home in New Orleans is 200000 Obviously, we know there are homes that are worth a lot more than that. Um, if we gave 52 families $200,000, how much money is that? I think on the back of the envelope, you and I calculated $16 million. It's less than that. It's so like ten million. Well, we also kind of added in like yeah, fees but, but and but like we, but literally, if we as a city decided to give restitution to be able to relocate these folks and let them like give them money to be able to buy another house and leave, if you give them the, some sort of value for their house. If you give them the average, the av- if we just went with the average value of a home in New Orleans, which is two hundred thousand dollars, and we gave that to fifty-two people who have been severely wronged by the city of New Orleans. This like two hundred thousand dollars is sorry my 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 wife of thirty years isn't worth two hundred thousand dollars but like let's just go with this number just for argument's sake two hundred thousand dollars to fifty two families is ten million dollars and what kills me is that 
we live in a city where there's constant conversation about how we don't have money for this, we don't have money for that. But as this always works with government, is when something is really a priority, money is found. When the Landrieu administration wanted to do his whole public safety thing, $40 million just appeared in city money to be able to install all them cameras and all the stuff that they did. $40 million with an M. I And a, a question I have is that right now the mayor's office is preparing her next budget for the fiscal year. And in fact, it will be the first budget that like, is it, this is her first budget that it's like completely her own. And my thing is that like, you made a promise to the people of Gordon Plaza. It is time to make good in that promise. Figure out a way to include in your budget something to get these folks relocated off of this land. Because right now it feels like the city is literally trying to wait them out till they all die. That's what it feels like. And the longer this goes on, the, lo- the more evidence there is for that. And for me, it's, it's $10 million. Like we found 40 for the safety thing. I, I have a genuine question of how much did it cost to beef up NOPD this summer when we were picking up kids for curfew? How much did that cost? Hmm, that's a good point. Right? If yeah. we're saying we don't have money, how much, how much did it cost for the overtime and the salaries and everything that had to be done to beef up NOPD to implement the, the, the juvenile curfew? How much did that cost? Because I, am, I as a citizen, as a taxpaying citizen of New Orleans, New Orleans I am unwilling to to let go that we're saying that we don't have money to move these people who have been wronged so absurdly and egregiously and they've been denied any justice for over 30 years now. One of the things that we have here on WHIV is a song that has this lyric in it. They got money for wars, but they can't feed the poor. Exactly. Uh, which um, is uh, by Tupac. Um, is that Bernetta Baby? No, it's. Uh, I think it's keep your keep your head up. Keep your Let's head, keep up. head up. Just we literally. Oh yes. So the last thing I want to say in this because I want to get to to the um, the HIV thing you want to talk about is that we want if, to talk about. yes, but but <laughs> My it, topic. it was your okay, yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah, um, the last thing I want to say in this is that if you are listening to us talk about this and you are as fired up and angry about this as I am, there's opportunity for you to do something about this. Um, the New Orleans People's Assembly, which many folks will know, is an organizing group in the city. They have been helping. Um, the residents of um, Gordon Plaza advocate for several years now. Um, And they're having a press conference this Thursday, August 1st, um, at City Hall. And I would encourage people to show up and to be a part of letting the city know that we have not forgotten about our neighbors. Because that's who these people are. They're our neighbors. It could be me. It could be you. It could be any of us who could be living in these houses. And if they would let, and the thing is that like, this isn't just about a community that no one knows about in the East. Like, not to like put my tinfoil hat on here, but what else don't we know about the land that we're all living on? If like this is allowed to like openly happen in our city. Like, I don't, I, how am I supposed to trust what the city officials are saying when we literally have a community of people living on a toxic waste dump and we're doing nothing about it? So, right? so how am I supposed to trust that the water really is clean, that the boil water advisories are, it's fine. How am I supposed to trust that we really are fixing the infrastructure when I can't trust you to tell me if my land is going to kill me? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I, I, there, did you, you announce what's happening on Thursday? Yes. Yeah, so the, the press conference is this Thursday, August 1st, 10 a.m. in the steps of City Hall, which is 1300 Perdido Street, if you don't know where City Hall is. And they're doing amazing work, and they're really keeping uh, yeah. they're keeping this. And this, like I said, this, and I, I want to underline that, again, yes, no, the mayor did not cause this problem. She inherited No, I'm it. not talking about the mayor. I'm talking about People's no. Assembly. Yes. Yeah, they're doing amazing work in keeping this uh, uh, 
uh, this topic alive and people are aware of it. And, and for the people that are at Press Park and Gordon Plaza, like WHIV is with you. And certainly you can tell that Kenny and I are, are some, this is something that it's something that's in our own backyard and we need to do something about it. Um, the just attain HIV. Yeah. So let's do this. I've got how, how much I, I got five about minutes. five minutes. All right. So can you cure AIDS in five minutes? <laughs> It's HIV. In- <laughs> oh, sorry, I don't know. Just- um, uh, the answer is no, uh, but like I, I would, I will always try. So, long story short, in 2011, a story came out, um, and uh, uh, not a story, a, a study came out that basically showed that people who take HIV medications like prep. No no, 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 no. People who have HIV. Oh, okay, sorry. So remember, prep is for people who Pre- don't have HIV. Got right. It. So uh, people who take HIV medications don't transmit HIV to their intimate partners. Mm-hmm. So it's that was a very cumbersome name study, but it was called the HPTN zero five two study. And that's where and, U is U equals U came from. That well, U equals U kind of yeah was was born out of that idea of how uh, if you give people HIV medications, they won't transmit HIV to their intimate partners for, for because. Because we're time crunched, there's a lot of anti. There's a lot of uh, good stuff that goes into that with respect to stigma and with respect to well-being, yeah. people with yeah. HIV and all this stuff, decriminalization. But I'm going to skip that just to kind of get to the studies that just were released a couple of days ago. So the idea now is that if we can reduce everybody's viral load to undetectable levels, well, we can prevent HIV from transmitting on a community-wide level or on a statewide level or on a global level. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. because if everybody's on HIV medications and we know for a fact... I just want to clarify. Everyone being everyone who is already infected. Everybody who has HIV. Yes. So if everybody who has so HIV... So basically, the idea would be like give, prevent... Basically, in a, in a dream public health scenario, you have basically everyone taking something like PrEP that prevents you from getting in the first place and the people that already have the virus, there's a way to get everyone's level down. If there was a way to get everyone's level down to a point where we could effectively cure HIV. Yes. Effectively. It's, it's an effective cure. And in fact, what would be the ideal public health situation, even going one step further, is you wouldn't even need PrEP anymore because there was no virus circulating. Oh, yeah, because there's the, no way to submit. Right. There's no circulating virus, yeah. right? Does right, that yeah. make sense? Yes. So that whole concept is called test and treat. Okay, that's the name. You test them, and then you treat them, and you get it down, and so then you, you get it right. You get end the epidemic, or you can get to zero HIV transmissions. Yeah, and that has been the kind of my professional quest for the past like since 2011, right? So yeah. the last seven or eight years, like it's been almost half of my HIV career, or my even my medical career has been just very, very focused on test and treat uh-huh. and the idea of getting people tested and then getting them treated right in fact the the nonprofit here is called Noceta was all meant to kind of promote HIV awareness through music and getting people tested okay so what happened was that just like any good clinical studies uh, the, the 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 you know monies were kind of diverted to to studies and four very very large studies were done uh, in 250,000 people in those studies and through different parts of Africa were done and so what they found essentially was at the beginning of these studies I know we're, we're, we can probably pick this up at some point in the future at the beginning of these studies the standard of care was waiting for waiting to start HIV medications right we'd wait to the viral that the immune system would fall to a certain level, and then you would start HIV medications. The new way is 
getting people started right away. Now, the idea of waiting to start HIV medication sounds ridiculous, but there is a precedent for it. And yeah. again, if we had more time, I would explain. Uh, but as I'm sitting here watching the clock, as I got like you know 70 seconds left, the new way of testing and treating became kind of that's it. So when they did these clinical trials, their treatment group and the control group were truly separate. But what happened was that these governments started to embrace the test and treat model. And so what happened was that the control groups started to look more like the treatment groups. Oh, oh. and so it kind of, uh, yeah. And so the results oh. are completely skewed. Yeah, like and there's, they, it was completely muddled. Yeah. And you have four studies now, three of them in the New England Journal, and the New England Journal is the, like... It's the gold standard. It's the, the standard. And what we find now is that these studies that are showing minimal to moderate, if that... Oh, so now people are arguing that test and treat isn't the way to go. We will, uh, okay. so we so we will definitely pick this back up. Because I know we that we're about to get, cut off. We're about yes, to get we're cut, cut off by off the thing. Right. The only thing I just wanted to tell folks is that next week we just confirmed, like right before I came on air, that Councilman from District 8, from District B, um, Jay Banks, will be joining us next week. Thank you.